was reading in the newspaper this morning about dry January. It's the last day of January and news stories are coming out about how successful it's been. I think it was a, a charity to do with, um, you know, trying to manage alcohol intake or whatever. And it, they did a survey that said one in five drinkers adhered to dry January for the month. So I was intrigued to know whether this had crossed your radar. Is that something that you even tried to do? I don't, and I didn't. I have tried it before. I have taken a few months off at a time, but no, I didn't this mm. this year. It feels like there's, uh, it feels those self-imposed kind of uh, or imposed upon you uh, months of of sort of being uh, being good. I, I've never really adhered mm. to. So if I do it myself, I will stick to it. If someone yeah. tells me that I should be doing dry January, yeah, I don't do that. What about yourself? Yeah. No, I I probably started it for the first day or two. <laughs> I don't think I really intended to to do it for the month, but you know, just needed to slow down a bit after the New Year's and Christmas excesses. But I know quite a yeah. few people that have, and good on them. You know, it's great. It's good for your system just to calm down a little bit, isn't it? Absolutely. But uh, interesting that stats came out uh, with one in five. That's quite impressive. Higher good. So should we start yeah. a podcast? Let's do it. Well, hello and welcome again to another episode of the SME Growth Podcast from Wellmeadow. I'm Dave Parry and we try to bring you news items and general chit-chat about stuff that might be interesting to small and medium-sized businesses that are looking to grow. And this week we're going to talk about something a bit different and we have an online guest. So I'd like to introduce you to Adam Cooper. Hi, Adam. Hi, Dave. Thanks very much for inviting me on. That's no, great. It's um, great to try a bit of new tech as well and have our, have our guests remote for regular listeners and more importantly viewers. They will probably be more familiar with the fact that it's uh, guests in the studio or me and Richard covering a topic. So today you're joining us from from down south somewhere. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in North London today and uh, in my home office. Yes. Oh, great. Well, thanks for joining us. Now, you and I started chatting because we wanted to cover a topic that you're very familiar with, which is the idea of outsourcing one of the director positions in your business, which is especially useful for smaller businesses. And your specialism is around finance. So we want to talk a bit about that. Uh, also, you do a podcast. So we want to talk a bit about that. So I'm fascinated to how other people set theirs up and, and what experiences you've had. But also at the beginning of all of our podcasts, we just cover a little bit of the news as well, just to give a little bit of topical interest and, and note what's going on. And there was a story that I picked up this morning in the paper, or a couple of stories really, which I thought might link in to your most recent podcast, which is around employee benefits, the last one that you've published. And the story in the paper this morning, well, two really, was one around Elon Musk's pay. I don't know if you saw that, who gets the tidy sum of $56 billion. <laughs> and this has been challenged by a judge and deemed to be not appropriate for, for looking up shareholder value, funny enough. Uh, and another statement, which was around another news item, which was around pay, was Rachel Reeves making a statement on behalf of Labour saying, if they get into power, and I don't know if you've got any money on that, but I guess it's pretty short odds. Um, but if they get into power, they're not going to reinstate the limit on bankers' bonuses, which was one of the few things that Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng did that didn't get reversed. So I thought they're quite interesting. Just wonder what perspective you've got on setting senior execs pay. Do you get involved in that at all? Do you sit on any remuneration committees or do you have to have chats, sometimes a little bit difficult chats maybe with business owners about what's the appropriate pay for them to take? What's your angle on that? Yeah, I, I do, and I have done. Uh, never quite to the tune of fifty-six billion, but I have uh, certainly 
set uh, set uh, remuneration for senior execs, and it can be difficult, particularly in smaller businesses where you have uh, owner-managed businesses and the owner is the, the guy or girl who set the business up and their expectation on, on what they should be paid uh, as the business grows can differ from any execs or non-execs that they bring in. So yeah, I think those, those remuneration committees, whether formal or informal, uh, are very important ways of managing that and helping the, the owner to understand where they should be and, uh, and helping the business to grow and the owners pay to grow accordingly. You don't often get a remuneration committee in a smaller business, though, do you? You see them a lot more in charities and obviously PLCs, you know, bigger trustee-led organisations. Your average SME will basically just decide for themselves what they think is the appropriate level. Yeah, that's right. And obviously the the sort of opportunity to take dividends and uh, sort of uh, to pay yourself in other ways comes into it as well. So, yeah, in the PLCs that I've been involved in and the larger businesses, remuneration committees are a thing where it's smaller Hence why I say kind of the informal approach. It's more uh, uh, done on a on a less formal without a committee basis. But yeah, either way, it's important that the owner is fairly remunerated and that that remuneration ties in with remuneration for other execs as the business grows. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, I suppose. The one thing I've come across, which is a slight, slightly difficult one, is in the very early stages of startups, I have come across some people who want to just re- recreate the salary package they had in commercial world before they entered their startup and you know the world doesn't quite work that way you know no one owes you a living so to come in saying i used to earn x and therefore my business plan has me still earning that when clearly the business itself in startup phase can't afford it um that becomes an awkward conversation for people because they've clearly got that as a preconception Absolutely. And I think any anyone starting a business should go into it with the mindset of needing to cut their cloth accordingly. You know, you, you're not in the corporate world and your your lifestyle changes and you have to make those changes. And where an owner or a startup founder decides not to make those changes, it can obviously become a little bit contentious. And you know, effectively, the business is, is not there to fund their lifestyle as it was. It's there to, to serve the needs of the, sort of the shareholders and the stakeholders that they're working with. So yeah, that can be a culture shift for sure. Yeah, okay. I guess we both end up in those sorts of discussions in our various roles, don't we? When, we, when we're advising boards in the various capacities that we do. So let's come on then to, to the way that you support companies, because I think there's some parallels in some sense to what we do as well. But I'm interested anyway in how any business looking to grow might take advantage of outsourced professionals. There's always that choice, isn't it? That make by decision. Do we bring all of the skills and resources we need in-house? Do we use all external professionals, contractors, freelancers, or do we have some sort of blend of the two? And your specialism is around the finance area. You're a chief financial officer on a fractional basis. So you'll help a number of companies at the same time, you won't necessarily get involved in the day-to-day production of accounts, you know, the management accounting task. I think ours, our approach is almost the opposite in that we will often go in at, well, sandwiching you really, we either go in at board chairman level and we're advising the whole board from a governance and uh, effectiveness point of view, or we're adding resources at that more uh, detailed level where you're doing stuff. So we'll be providing resource to help create marketing content, for example, often working for an internal marketing director. It's, I don't think it's as common that you'll outsource the marketing director for to manage an in-house team of marketing people, whereas you find it the other way around. So, so what's the logic there? Why would a company outsource the CFO role and have an in-house management accounting team? 
Um, good question. Often it's not that they'll have a full team in house doing the management accounting. They'll be uh, and the the clients that I work with tend to be of a certain size. So up to about 50 person businesses, they won't be able to necessarily afford a full-time FD or a full-time CFO. And that's where they sort of bring someone like myself in, where they don't necessarily have someone doing that strategic financial advice. So they'll have someone, maybe a bookkeeper, maybe external accountants who prepare their management accounts if they have management accounts, not always the case at that at that size. Um, mm. And that's another conversation as to whether they should or not. But um, they typically won't have someone to, to provide that strategic financial advice whether that be on cash flow management or fundraising or you know other financial strategy discussions and decisions, whether to grow the business or buy a new business. That's not something that they will have in-house because they can't justify it on a regular basis. And so they'll bring someone like myself in on a fractional basis or part-time basis, as you say, and we'll support uh, with those decisions. And then we'll help manage uh, often, not always, the bookkeeper or the accountants and, and act as that kind of to use an American expression, a quarterback. So bringing together those disparate parts. Um, And then typically, and how I've worked before, is when they get above that size and they're looking to bring someone in full-time, which does make sense above 50 people, uh, then I'll help with that transition. So we'll work with uh, the company to identify someone to come in, do the interviewing and helping on the recruitment, uh, and then on the training, onboarding, and and transitioning across to someone on a full-time basis. Yeah, so I was going to ask you though about the sort of typical sizes of businesses where this makes sense, and you've just indicated an upper limit, maybe fifty. You know, obviously a big band of error around that, plus or minus, God knows what, where they be, could be looking to recruit their own. But where does it start? You know, what's, what's the sort of lower size limit of a company where it makes sense to do what you're doing? Um, I mean, the it can go down as small as a one person entity rarely because uh, if if you're a one-man band again you probably don't need someone like myself but I have worked on projects uh, with one-man bands one-woman bands to help set up their you know accounting software for example zero work with the uh, with them to, to identify accountants to help on the on the sort of statutory uh, tax basis uh, but typically it's from about five people so it'll be between five and 50 will be the sweet spot. As I say, sometimes a little bit smaller on the odd project, but on an ongoing basis, it's five to 50. And then above 50, I, I do have clients that I work with that are larger than that, but then it's kind of working towards a full-time solution often. Mm, yeah, and, and when you're involved, do you often find that the types of companies that would engage a fractional CFO are also using or considering using other fractional direct positions or strategic advice positions, or does it tend to be if you're there, then they don't really need or use anyone else? I think, I mean, you touched on it before in terms of marketing. So I have worked with companies who have a fractional marketing director. Uh, HR is another area, legal is another area. So yeah, it is something that I have seen. And then on the startup side, there's quite a lot of COOs uh, who tend to offer their services on a fractional basis as well so yes i think it works quite well when they're at that size because you know you can scale up bring in the expertise that you need on a part-time basis uh, and then as you get to the size help they can help you identify what you need strategically and from a team point of view moving forwards that's interesting then yeah just i suppose it's down then to the attitude of the business owner as to whether they are open to the idea of taking on this type of external resource, which 
I guess some people can look at and think that at an hourly rate, day rate basis, it seems expensive, but because you're only using it when you need it, it actually works out, you know, potentially a lot cheaper depending on what, what you consider the alternative to be. So it's probably a mindset thing, isn't it, within the types of companies you work for. Either you want and you embrace the idea of external support or you're very cost-focused and you end up just trying to sort of do everything yourself and they're the people that are still running around doing everything even when it's a 100-person company. <laughs> they just haven't recruited at the top level and they've got, they've got all the lower levels filled. Yeah, I think it does come down to an individual preference i am seeing more interest in it at in both finance and other areas maybe due to the economy and and the fact that you know companies are having to to look at payroll and look at what they've got on the books and make sure that they're they're cutting their cloth accordingly so but it does come down to the desire of the entrepreneur of the of the owner uh, of the team who are leading the business as to as to which areas they feel to your point earlier they bring in house and which areas mm. that they can work with someone externally and help help them scale up that way and what what do you think are the typical sort of pain points or points of need that listeners to this might be thinking oh i wonder if that should be me then you know i don't have a full-time finance director or or marketing support or hr or legal What's the trigger that finally gets people to contact you that you think and start start this journey? I, for me, I'd say number one is cash flow. You know, it's it's the one area that every business has a challenge with, and it's one area that you know someone of my background can help with. So I think cash flow is is probably the first and foremost trigger that I get when people reach out to me. You know, other other things can be around fundraising. So particularly in the startup world, I'll get sort of uh, new startup founders coming to me going look I've got a, a raise uh, I'm going in to make a, a case for my my company to be invested in by whether it be a bank or whether it be external shareholders you know can you help me with a business plan can you help me with a five-year plan can you help me go in and be that grown up in the room if you will uh, within the within the presentation and and then the relationship can develop from there so I'd say those are the two most common triggers that I've come across. No, well, fair enough. Yeah, and I can understand that. That relates similarly to us, I suppose. There's got to be some pain point where the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, and that triggers people to think. But I guess a bit like us, you rely a lot on referrals and people who've experienced that sort of thing before to talk kindly about not just you necessarily specifically, but the idea of having this sort of external support. Yeah, no, I think that's where most of my my business has come from really it, it, it is the referrals that that have helped um you know whether that be referrals from your own network of people that i've you know I, i've got 20 years corporate experience prior to setting up on my own so i've got a large network of people and and a lot of that was in marketing professional services and media which are three sort of areas where people often go and set up on their own or or it's quite common to do that and so a lot of the time it will be people who have worked with me or you know their friends or, or contacts uh, that I will be found through um, and then there's just people that you work with you know going back to the startup example where there's definitely a need there's definitely a trigger and you know there'll be a I work with that company uh, and that founder will recommend me to to another company so I think it's you know, your own networks and then referrals is 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 often the way there's obviously sort of more traditional networking groups or you know cold outreach but I've found the most sort of uh, regular forms of referral be my own network and, and from those kind of ex-clients yeah. Well, I wanted to come on and ask you anyway about how 
how you found it starting up your business. You said you had a corporate career before. It's nice and easy. You turn up, you do your work, you get your paycheck. It's suddenly you go into working for yourself for a small company. You're responsible for winning the clients and managing everything. So how did you start out in the early days? You know, in, in that very startup mode, the sorts of companies you're helping now, you, you were one of them. I was one of them 20 years ago. You know, we've both been through that process. How did you start out, get your first client and start building? What was your growth engine? Um, well, I mean, I originally started sort of post-pandemic, came out of quite a challenging situation and decided that I needed a change. You know, I've done 20 years of the same thing. And, uh, you know, it's it's at that stage, I think often people go, right, I've done this, not this, my first rodeo, I've done this many times before, I want to do something different. Uh, so came out uh, and, and started looking around, got a few clients from my network, from people that I've worked with before, repeat business uh, and referrals to people friends of friends, as I alluded to. Um, but that obviously only takes you so far. And then it's about you know, broadening out and trying to find clients through other other means. Uh, but it's been a slow build, really. Um, and, you know, to your point, it's a, a very different experience from, you know, taking a salary, being in a corporate environment uh, and just focusing on the, the doing and the managing. Now you've got a lot more hats to wear. And I think that's that's been uh, interesting, I would say, and something I very much enjoy uh, spinning those different plates. You know, biz dev, marketing. You know, on my own IT support, setting up the uh, setting up the equipment. Um, and I think that's that's certainly a challenge which not everyone enjoys, but I've really embraced and enjoy it. Um, I think the other thing that you know you have to change mindset of, and you touched on it before, is is your sort of the your your perception of money, your perception of what you've got coming in each month and sort of cutting your cloth accordingly, which is one thing if you're a 20-something a startup founder without you know a mortgage, a family, but when you've got all of those uh, other bits and pieces, it's, uh, it's a change of mindset, not just for oneself, but one's family as well. Yeah, I, I really take my hat off to anybody in that position where you've got dependents and commitments and you're then deciding to give up that regular paycheck and go it alone. And it's a it's a lonely place to start with, isn't it? Which is, I suppose, where once a company gets to a bit of a steady state and it's making something, it likes to bring in outsiders like you and me and others because it is a lonely place. And having someone else who experienced that before themselves and, and sees other people going through it as well is a great comfort. It, it gives that perspective and that shared experience which business owners and entrepreneurs often really appreciate. Yeah, no, I think that's something I've certainly noticed is when I speak to the businesses that I help, they see it as a kindred spirit, someone who's also gone out and done it and started something up themselves. And I think they they respect that and they they think that, you know, you obviously understand the world they're, they're in as well. And, and as you say, it's that sort of uh, expert who you can lean on, but who understands where you're coming from as well. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I, I find that our work often veers off-piste from what we're there ostensibly to do, whether that be to add some governance and structure to board meetings or to provide marketing strategy and content. And it goes sometimes into the coaching, mentoring, sometimes even counselling. You know, if you have to turn up on, on a bad day and, and the owner's got a particular worry, you said about cash flow, it might be about an employee or about losing a client, you end up really advising on whatever the issue of the day is, and it can be a very personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, I mean, you're, you're dealing with owner managed businesses often and where the business and the and the individual you know, is conflated and, and you do, you have to sort of be there and act as that coach, as that mentor, as that sounding board, as someone to keep them honest and accountable for the goals and targets that they're hitting. So it's, it's it often is a lot broader than just 
finance or, or marketing or, or whatever it is that you are ostensibly there to provide. And, and for me, I, I personally enjoy that because I think, you know, it is all linked, right? You know, a business is not, you know, just department by department. You have to work together and at startups, uh, is never, that's never more evident, right? How do you find the, the other senior people in a business take to you when you come in and you're that fractional outsider? Do you ever find any resistance or pushback or is it universally positive? <laughs> Good question. Um, I. I wouldn't say universally positive, particularly on the finance side, because you are coming in making asking difficult questions often and, and making suggestions that have an impact on on budgets. Um, but I think if you go in with uh, an open mindset yourself, uh, you go in with the buy-in of the owner or the CEO, and that relationship is key. I don't think you can ever come in. I've had situations where I've been asked to go in and, and not really report to the owner or support the owner, but work with the finance team. And that doesn't work because you need to have that kind of senior sponsorship, if you will. So I think as long as you've got that, there's the open lines of communication, you're brought in, you sit in the sort of leadership meetings uh, and you come in with sort of an open mind and respectful of others, then it works quite well. But it's not universally positive for sure because you're you're coming in to, because there's a problem that needs fixing uh, mm. often. So yeah. But it's an that's part of the one. skill. That's the part of the skill we we have to somehow work with, isn't it? To to make sure that we can still be effective, acknowledging that there's not always everybody that's asked us in. And and I don't know about you, but a couple of times I've been asked in by shareholders rather than by the owner manager, exclusive owner manager. Yeah. And they're almost sending me in to look, you know, check up on or even police what they believe to be something internally that needs a little bit of looking at. And that that's an even pricklier situation, as you can imagine. It's almost like being sent in as the, the auditors or the forensic accountants or something. It's not a position you really relish, but you, you still have to just deploy the same skills you always do of saying, right, what's the best thing for the company? You know, our duty here, all of us, is to promote the success of the company and stakeholders. So as long as we're all on that page, then you get through it. But it, it can be tricky sometimes at the at the outset, depending on how the brief began. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I have, I have had that, and also where you're being brought in because the company's, you know, hoping to sell, for example, or hoping to to be acquired, and the books aren't quite up to to what they should be. You know, that that can be quite a sensitive conversation that is not always at the request of of the owner um, or the manager. You know, it's it's very much a case of going in there, being sensitive, uh, being communicative, and and keeping that end goal in mind. From what I I've experienced, and then communicating that to them and, and making it clear that this is in everyone's best interests particularly if they're shareholders as well yeah well obviously yeah if it's a if it's a strong overlap of owners and managers it's not so bad it's when the shareholders are external you have a bit more of a challenge and you mentioned there about getting the books ready for a potential um, business sale or any other or acquisition from the other side you, you've got this due diligence process that you've got to help people through and i'm sure you get involved heavily in those probably a whole other podcast in that one you know, in terms of how to get your business ready for a transaction and ready for the due diligence process let alone finding funders and all of that so perhaps we'll come back to that one that one another day that could be that could be a good half hour chat on that at the very least yeah sounds good. Um, i wanted to pick your brains a little bit on the fact that you're doing a podcast Yes. And here we are on a podcast as well. Uh, I was looking at your podcast, The Fractional CFO Show. Am I right in getting the name right? Exactly right. Thank you. Yeah. Available on, on all popular podcast 
uh, outlets. So I'm sure some of our listeners will be making their way across and listening in. And hence why I found that one you did recently on on uh, employee benefits and incentive schemes, that sort of thing. That's quite interesting. Just wanted to sort of compare and contrast a little bit, really, between our two styles, because I know a number of our listeners are thinking for themselves, should they set up a podcast? Is it a lot of hard work? And we've covered that on some of our podcasts before. But I noticed uh, in terms of style, you start yours with an advert, which we've tried not to do. So I'm interested in your thinking around that. And yours are predominantly guest-based podcasts where you're interviewing someone else. And I'm wondering, is that just a, a function of the size of your business? Uh, you know, because as you know, a lot of ours are rich and, and me just <laughs> shooting the breeze and talking about stuff. So just on, on those couple of things, you know, what, what led you down that route of doing advert first and predominantly guest led podcast episodes? Yeah, that's a good question. The advert first is something I've been, I was toying with, to be honest, uh, at the outset, whether I should or shouldn't do that. I mean, the ultimate reason for starting the podcast was to grow the brand, grow the awareness of of my services and our, our company. Um, and so I thought, you know, having an advert at the beginning would be a way of communicating that before, you know, there's inevitably drop off in podcast listenership as you get towards and through the pod so I know some people talk about if you're going to have some kind of marketing message to put it at the end and then you you retain your your listeners having it at the outset you know maybe off-putting I've tried to keep it short uh you know to as a way of not sort of losing anyone before we get to the meat of it but I'm still not 100% on it so I don't know I know you don't have that so I wondered what your thinking was as well I'd be interested to hear well, I've listened to several others before, and I guess if you get into a podcast and you start following it, that gets a bit repetitive if it's at the beginning, you hear it at the beginning all the time. And I challenged someone else on this who was doing one in the consulting sphere, and they were reasonably relaxed about that. They said that regular listeners know it's happening and they just know how many fast forwards to press the button for. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a two minute ad, they click the plus 30 seconds four times and they're through. But it still struck me as a barrier to want to get in. And as you know, on our podcast, we start very relaxed, just having a bit of a mm. chat. We don't even necessarily highlight the subject of the podcast on the grounds that once people have found it on the list of podcasts available, they've already seen the title of the show, so so they know what's coming. And it, I don't know, I suppose we've tried to go for a slightly more relaxed feel about it. Something, we, we're very mindful of the fact that this is like a radio show. You know, people aren't consuming it in the way they might consume a webinar or reading a blog that's just spoken to them. You know, this is partially, you know, maybe entertainment is a bit too strong, but something at least is pleasant to listen to if you're out on your dog walk or driving the car. You know, you want to yeah. be you know, you pass the time in an enjoyable enough way, but also get something informative. If it was just somebody, A, advertising themselves and then being very dry in the presentation of facts, we thought, well, that's, that's probably not something I would enjoy that much listening to. You know, you need to try and get a little bit of humor in it sometimes, a little bit going off piste and talking about other stuff. So we've had a very relaxed format. But I guess with the volumes we're talking about as the sorts of podcasts that you and we are doing, you know, we haven't got... Seven million followers, like that. Like our friend Steve Bartlett with his diary of a CEO. You know, not yet, Dave. Much not more yet. Modest, yeah, not yet. I like yeah. style. Um, but at that level, we're talking a lot to people we know. So we're we're almost saying hi and yeah. referring to situations that, without naming them, certain listeners will recognise and and maybe have a wry smile on their face and that sort of thing. So it's it's that's the style we've gone for. And it just didn't seem to be consistent with starting out by saying, "Hey, look at me, buy me, you know, hire me," type of thing. It was. It was trying to just be purely and simply giving some information for free for people that might find it useful. And, and if anybody wants to contact us, they'll do it anyway. But 
maybe we've gone too far the other way and we're re relying too much on people just <laughs> picking up the phone if they need to. So how have you I, found it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I have, I haven't got a sort of hard and fast rule about it. I do think that to your point, the people who listen are coming here anyway. And so they're going to be listening. They know what the services that you offer because of the nature of the audience that we've got. Um, I also felt, I guess at the outset that it was a missed opportunity. If you, if you're not using the sort of inventory real estate that you've got, like that was my original view, but yeah, as I say, not, not hard and fast about it. Um, I think, yeah, watch this space, <laughs> I would say, because I'm, yeah. not, I'm not wedded to it. Um, in terms of your other point about the guests and, and sort of why, you know, why that was the approach that I've taken, I wanted the pod to be useful for small business owners more broadly. So I wanted to have a range of subjects, at, some of which I, I'm an expert in and sort of the people I work with uh others that you know perhaps bringing in outside expertise would be more useful for for the audience so i think that was my rationale um and yeah the audience is you know small and medium business owners similar to yourselves and you know you mentioned about employee benefits you know i've got some knowledge of that space in my cfo background but you know far better to get someone who's a true expert in that and then you know i think it's the most value add you know and, and that was a legal position as well, wasn't it, from the guest that you had on that show? So that adds another yeah. dimension to add to your financial interpretation of it. Yeah, exactly. I guess there's no right way of doing things, things and these things, and, and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? We're, we're all approaching it a different way. We're big fans of managing by the data and seeing what works. But as we were talking about in our podcast last week on testing, with the sort of volumes we're talking about, we were talking then about the, the idea of testing emails with A-B testing. Mm. If you've got a mailing list of 500 or so, then you're not going to be able to get great results on testing because you just haven't got a statistically <laughs> significant enough large of a sample to, to start doing nuanced tests. And I guess that's the same with podcasts. You know, a few hundred listens a week, we get a few thousand views and listens a month across all of our platforms. It's not enough to really start testing one thing or another. You know, is the phone going to start ringing off the hook with people on our services? That's not kind of ideally what it's for. You know, this is more about just building a little bit of a, a brand, I suppose, or a, a, a establishing a position of expertise in some of these areas like you're doing. And also in the way you're having guests to show that you have a connection network of other people that you can bring in when you need to. So that shows that your breadth, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's a great point because I think, you know, I have noticed an increased sort of awareness of it, you know, from the conversations I have with clients and potential clients. Uh, and then I've also noticed, you know, I have had leads through from the podcast and but similarly so have my guests. So there is definitely a sort of halo effect of, you know, hosting other people and, and being able to help your guests out, you know, bring in potential interest in what they do. So I think there is a, a slightly wider uh, sort of benefit to it rather than just you know direct marketing for me or lead generation for me do you know what i mean mm, yeah i think that's i think that's the right approach to go into these things with and certainly when we talk to our clients who've broached the subject of having a podcast for themselves we, we always want to check the motivation first you know if you think that mm. you're going to do a few and, uh, and immediately get some referrals off it you're probably going into it for the wrong reasons and in fact if you wanted that then probably do a webinar instead and we've had yeah. a very different reaction to our webinars, which are much more lead generation focused. You know, you're giving a very clear presentation on a subject and inviting people to contact you to set up a meeting. That's a different thing to a weekly yeah. set of ramblings, <laughs> which is probably where we are. 
with your webinar sorry on that do you how long have you been doing that for and do you do it in series or is that just something that you do on an ad hoc basis yeah we're starting a series which we started last year around our expertise in hubspot so that's our first series so we did one as a general overview and we've got one that's being recorded and prepared tomorrow which is because we need some of the material pre-recorded for screenshots and stuff like that so we're doing that one on specifically i've targeted at the sales population the sales teams because mm-hmm. lots of people who hear about hubspot know of it as a marketing tool but fewer of them are in sales. So we're, we're focusing something on them. And we'll do a few more HubSpot-focused ones. And then because of our other services, we'll go on and do another series after that for the for the sort of probably third quarter of the year, which will talk more about marketing content and some of that side of things we do. And then I think we'll finish the year with a mini-series on our board support work. Because it's a, it's a fascinating topic, actually. If you think about it, most companies have only ever really experienced the, the senior leadership team probably of their current company and maybe one prior. And if they're owner yeah. managers, it's probably just the current one. Whereas we see hundreds and we've chaired 3,000 board meetings. So, you know, there's, there's probably quite a lot more there that we could share insights on, maybe some war stories, <laughs> which, uh, which other people don't get to experience. So that'd be quite interesting to talk about that in, in webinar format, as well as the way we've done it on podcasts. Yeah, interesting. I haven't, I haven't considered webinars. I've obviously consumed them, but not considered them as an approach. So yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, very different format. People consider them as being almost similar, but I think they're designed to do very different things. So yeah. I still think the podcast is more about establishing a broader range of expertise and demonstrating your contacts and, and just doing something that's more brand building over time, whereas a webinar is much more focused on getting some leads following on from the content that you're sharing in a very presentational sense, you know, seminar mm. online, isn't it? That's, that's what it is. So that's the difference one. Great. And I think we get a chance to turn the tables in a few weeks time. You've invited me onto your podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I think it'd be interesting uh, yeah. from my point of view to see what it feels like being a guest, having been one of the co-hosts. Have you been? Have you been a guest many times before? Not many times, just once or twice. Yeah, and very different formats. You know, another one that I was a guest on was very much designed to give a platform to the guests to promote their business, and that's right. something that, as you probably gather from this, that's not what we're about. We, we weren't mm. wanting an advert from the guests for their company. This is this is not the sort of ad channel. This is. A discussion between experts in different areas and what comes of it comes of it so so it'll be interesting to see how the format rolls with me being a guest on yours so perhaps listeners to this will tune into that on the fractional cfo show in a, a few weeks time we're looking forward to having you absolutely great well thank you adam thanks for joining us on our show today it's been quite an interesting chat that covered quite a lot of different subjects right from you know why would people use fractional directors of any sort and then specifically around and around the CFO, how you started up your own business and the difficulties of, of starting a one-man band from scratch when you've come out of the corporate world. And then on to, as you can tell, my interest in, in podcasts and how different people approach setting theirs up. So great to hear your views on all of that. So thank you very much. Well, thanks very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. So that's another episode of the SME Growth Podcast from Wellmeadow. Thanks a lot for listening again. And as we ask you every week, please either follow the podcasts on whatever outlet you're getting them from. But more importantly, just drop an email or a text or a WhatsApp to some of your business friends and tell us that you've listened to this great episode and think maybe they'd be interested in one of them too. So just spread the word for us. So thank you very much for that. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, good luck with your business.